Welcome to Tales of the Lesser Medium, a podcast that pokes fun at video game narratives. I'm your narrator, Caleb J. Ross, and I'm joined by my co-host. Bud, I have been doing nothing but pull-ups all friggin' day, man, because I've been watching Nathan just hang and dangle on ledge after ledge after ledge, and I started to realize my muscles quiver a little bit when I get a stack of bowls from the cupboard. I really need to start working on my upper body a little bit. So that's where I'm at, Caleb. I'm getting some, I'm getting my pecs bigger. You know, what's interesting about that, that visually just painted for me is I know how many people are in your household, how many, how many people you live with mm-hmm. way fewer than would necessitate, necessitate an entire stack of bowls. So you're bringing down this stack of bowls for ulterior reasons than just breakfast or whatever, which tells me. You're legitimately trying to work out with a stack of bowls. That is, that's where you're at. That is your that's your weight set, isn't it? I mean, a lot of times we'll get a soup and a salad. I'm not the kind of guy that eats a salad out of a plate. What am I, poor? No, I get a bowl for my salad. I get a bowl for my soup. That's two bowls a person. We're talking upwards of six freaking bowls, brother. It's heavy. So your young daughter's into soups and salads. Loves it. Oh, yep. Still eats with her hands. It's It's a mess. <laughs> Got to keep the Band-Aids handy when they dig into that <laughs> piping hot soup. I get it. I have kids. I get it. Uh, so, yeah, that, that was that was Travis. He's the co-host of this whole uh, fiasco uh, thing that we do here. And as always, we'll be taking you through our favorite video game franchise narratives, interjecting with humor, skits, and commentary along the way to make you laugh and to make us question how a man can come face to face with so many goddamn supernatural things, yet still refuse to believe in supernatural things. It's right. weird, right, Travis? Yeah, it kind of describes me, you know? <laughs> well, you are getting buff now. Pretty soon you're going to be, you're, you're Nate. You're Nate incarnate. You, know, you are incarnate. And I see my cute, hot grandfather's ghost next time, I'll be ready. <laughs> As you may recall, at the end of the first game in the series, Nate and team saved the world from a deadly dust that turned people into monsters. Then, at the end of the second game in the series, oh boy, Nate and team saved the world from a deadly tree sap that turns people into monsters. Mm-hmm. And now, now we're at Uncharted 3, Drake's Deception. Yes, right. And in this one, Sully's mustache becomes sentient and transforms into a monster. So the the train <laughs> the train keeps on a rolling. But no, I do want to call out, this game does have one of the coolest sequences. We don't really touch on it because it's just... Uh, a shooty shooty rootin' tootin' sequence through a, a sinking <laughs> ship, but I loved that. I thought that looked so so cool. Uh, the se- the whole sinking ship sequence. I don't know. It's just awesome. Lots of lots of water and boats. Digging it. It is very cool. That's that's true. It's one of those scenes. A little behind the scenes baseball for you. It's one of those scenes that as I'm writing the script out, I'm like, well, nothing happens except like they run around and stuff. Like I can't really <laughs> write yeah. about it. So yeah, I'm glad you brought it up because it's a super, super sweet. And if I remember correctly, like it was astonishing for its time in terms of just technical abilities because the entire level is like moving and, and that's was hard to do back then. Probably still is today. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, it's a ship on its side with a glass top and you're able to see how deep the water is. And it's so intimidating to see it splashing up against the side and you're waiting for that glass to break. Oh, they did so good with that. Anyway, let's oh, make man. fun of the game now, now that we've <laughs> a- appreciated one piece. <laughs> Uncharted 3 opens like those two games before it with an epigraph. <clears throat> I, it's by T.E. Lawrence. I don't know. Where the hell he was from. I don't know what accent he would have. I don't know how graveled his voice would be. So we're going to guess, and I'm going to go with, whole men dream, <laughs> <laughs> but not equally. Hmm. 
those who dream by night in the dusty recesses of their minds, wake up in the day to find that it was vanity. But the dreamers of the day are dangerous, Panpaul. They may act that dream with open eyes to make it possible. This I did. Mm. That was from his book, Lawrence of Arabia. How do you think I did? Uh, it sounded like a character from Pee-wee's Playhouse. So <laughs> Good. Uh, that was fun. I, I always look- pull from Pee-wee uh, when it comes to pretty much anything I do in life. This is no exception. You pull from Pee Wee. Okay. Yeah, I'm sitting That's- in Cherry right now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in a couple of thoughts about that quote, I mean, people who dream by night are just asleep, you mm-hmm. know? <laughs> That's and true. Lawrence is here making it sound like people who sleep are just up to no good, but you gotta <laughs> sleep. And then also he says that people who act their dreams with open eyes uh, are, he kind of insinuates that they're dangerous. And I, I think that's just people awake doing stuff. I don't think, yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's all people being dangerous. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. One time I dreamed that I was at work and it sucked because it's like usually nighttime is supposed to be a reprieve from those kind of things. But I literally just dreamed a full eight hours of work, then got up and had to work and that sucked. Ugh. But I was doing what I was dreaming. Uh, I'm glad you explained that quote though a little bit because Yes, my accent was was atrocious and probably made it a little bit incomprehensible. Had I not used an accent, it still makes no goddamn sense. This it's is true. Whole, it doesn't. So That's true. So let's open up uh, with the game proper here. Nate and Sully are walking down a lit street at night, which looks to be somewhere in England. And they are dressed in amazing black suits. They have the confident swagger of men about to pull off a heist. They enter a pub, pulling glares from every patron. Their suits are a stark contrast to the common daily attire worn by everyone else within this pub. Yeah, and they saunter in there like the Blues Brothers. I half expected Sully to break into Soul Man, which would have been awesome, but didn't happen. The bartender gives them a knowing glance and a nod toward a door in the back labeled Office. Once inside, a man named Charlie Cutter frisks them for weapons. Hold up. I I just want to point out that the name Charlie Cutter sounds like a slang term for a mule's asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Which would mean that it's it's Charlie then a slang term for a for a dump? Do people go and take a wicked Charlie? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Could. I was thinking Charlie horse and like a mule a mule kick. I don't know. There's something there's something there, but uh my my mule got into the feed again and just took a wicked Charlie. Good thing it's cutter got fixed by the vet the other day. Yeah, that's right. He had a cutter injury. How did that happen? You don't need to know about it. It's fixed. That's the point. <laughs> Twelve stitches. <laughs> so Charlie Cutter, he frisks them for weapons before allowing them further into the room where another man, this one equally as finely suited as Nate and Sully are, he offers his apologies for the security measures. His name is Talbot, and he's here to buy something very valuable from Nate and Sully. All the secrecy and security tells us that this valuable thing isn't just something that can be purchased from a local corner store, unless that corner store is full of Nate's own personal heirlooms, because the item up for bid here is a ring from Nate's ancestor, Sir Francis Drake, that Nate has worn around his neck since he was a child through three games now, two in the start of this one. A lot of games. (laughs) Yeah, and speaking of bidding, when you do bid, you should either bid, you know, $1 like on Price is Right, Mm -hmm. or you Mm -hmm. set your eBay max to something with a weird cent value like 40 
dollars and 37 cents. I mean, I don't think that really helps anything, but it amuses me to do it that way. <laughs> I think it does. That's genius, actually, because if you're one of those people who's trying to bid on an item and you go up 10 cents every time, like eventually you get worn down, right? And you're like, fuck it. I, I'm not, I'm going to stop bidding. This is an atypical number of cents that you've got there, which tells me that someone is less likely to maybe hit it as they're kind of bidding up. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I think there's some strategy there. It kind of makes sense to me. Again, it, it makes me feel smart. I lose most of the most of the auctions I bid on, but I still feel smart at the end of the day. You lose it to people who've bid equally absurd numbers of cents. <laughs> so, I mean, the, the method is still it still makes sense. They have more sense than I do. That's for sure. <laughs> Why would Nate sell this important artifact? That is a good question, because this ring represents his very bloodline, his very role in a centuries-long drive to unearth hidden riches across the world. Is he no longer in the treasure-hunting game? Hmm, I don't know. And this may not be true, but I did hear that Uncharted 3, Drake's Pawn and Cash for Gold <laughs> was the original working title. I just heard that somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, but see, with the number four in it, it made it kind of confusing. Is this the fourth game mm. in the series? Is it the third? So, you know, they, they shortened right. it slightly. That's the only reason they didn't go with that title. <laughs> I read that. <laughs> so, of course, this whole deal for the ring, it just goes bad. Nate and Sully assess the man's suitcase of money, and they determine that it's fake. Well, mm. the money specifically, not not the suitcase. The suitcase, ah. it's it's genuine Backroom Shady Deal default style metal. It's great. <laughs> yeah, straight out of a Tarantino movie, the suitcase. <laughs> so, of course, a fight breaks out. But in atypical, atypical, not antypical, in, atyp in atypical Uncharted style. There we go. Mm. This one involves only fists and bottles. No bullets. Oh, well, and I've seen a lot of things that involve only fists and bottles, but those same things involved way less dudes. <laughs> Gross. Our boys <laughs> punch their way out of the bar and into the back alley where Talbot arrives in a car <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> I mean, he was literally feet away in the same building that they're right? fighting outside of. So it kind of feels like a waste of gas, if anything. I mean, the only thing I could think of, maybe they tow after 9 p.m. I well, mean, I don't know. That's a good point. England. <laughs> mm. they're, they're, they drive the wrong side. They tow after 9. It's weird. It's weird. <laughs> But Talbot isn't alone in his environmentally unfriendly car driving approach. A woman whom Sully identifies as Kate steps out from the car. Now, there's a history between her, Nate and Sully that we'll surely learn more about a little later. Mm. She approaches a felled Nate at knife point, cuts the ring from his neck, stating that she's only taking back what's hers. Before Nate can retaliate, Charlie Cutter, the brute henchman and donkey anus from earlier pulls a gun <laughs> and shoots nate and sully in their respective chests oh okay correction so there was one bullet in this fight i lied well at least two bullets nah. and and now nate and sully are looking pretty friggin' dead and we make a yeah. lot of direct comparisons we you know especially in the first episode we made a lot of direct comparisons between uncharted and tomb raider but man i gotta say Lara croft made it to her fourth game before she died. And I will say this also, if you're listening to Tales of the Lesser Mediums out of order, you just got spoiled. <laughs> uh, equally spoiled for anyone who played the game like me, because uh, it didn't take until the fourth game before she died for me. Now, I killed her a lot during the second game when, <laughs> when they introduced that nude code into the game. But all it did was actually explode her to make fun of people who were trying to do the nude mm. code in the first game. And I just kept doing it because I was sure... One of those times she wasn't going to explode 
and she was going to strip down to those pyramid boobs. Oh. I was confident. I was confident. How'd that turn out, though? Not very good. So Talbot <laughs> and Kate, they don't handle Cutter's murder spree lightly. No, no, no. They they reprimand their rogue agent and leave the scene quickly for fear of police showing up and implicating the two of them, Talbot and Kate, in these murders. As Sully and Nate drift off to their eternal sleep, we fade to a completely different scene, a flashback to a younger Nate 20 years ago in Cartagena, Colombia, outside a museum that houses an entire exhibit on Sir Francis Drake. Oh, man. And I'm really glad they brought the flashbacks uh, back. And is this the Sir Francis Drake? Well, it depends. <laughs> did, did you happen to go to kindergarten with a Sir Francis Drake and you are about to relive a time when he pooped in his own cereal like you did with the name Gabriel Roman back in our episode on Uncharted 1? Hey, man. What does tell us the lesser medium if not for recurring bad <laughs> jokes? Yes, Sir Frankie Drake. Well, he didn't move to my school until, gosh, I guess it would have been seventh grade because uh, I remember – we showed each other our first chest hair because we had an argument about which one of us Britney Spears would find more manly. And um, mine was longer, by the way. So. so so the length of the chest hair was was part of the appeal. I didn't, I didn't know that as as someone who has no hair in my chest. I believe I that to this day. Yeah, I think chicks <laughs> chicks dig it when you can really, you know, put a they, they're kind of like ponytails, but they're on the front on your chest. I don't know what you might call that stat. <laughs> they dig that. A Charlie Cutter tail, I think is what they call it. (laughs) (laughs) Somehow. Uh, Well, young, tiny Nate seems a bit suspicious scoping out this museum in this flashback. See, not only is he constantly checking over his shoulder like guilty people do, (laughs) he's also a child about to enter a history museum. Yeah, he's either going to be so bored he falls asleep under a bench somewhere or... He gonna steal shit. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he's definitely gonna steal shit. Yeah, yeah. So he beelines for an upstairs exhibit. Uh, Also note that beelining is not something innocent people do in museums. A museum (laughs) by design is meant for slow meandering. Someone arrest this kid. He clearly (laughs) knows where he's going. (laughs) The exhibit in question is a small, relatively inconspicuous glass case housing a silver ring. Hey, a silver ring or the silver ring? Huh? Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask this again. If you went to school with a kid named Silver Ring, <laughs> uh, I'm gonna punch you through the microphone. Ah, well, his uh, his real name was Stanley. God damn! It. But we we, call, we called him Silver because he was always sucking on pocket change. He's just a mouthful of nickels and dimes. This kid, <laughs> and I guess this would have been oh. I think fourth grade, because we were smoking our first cigarette together, and uh, mine was bigger, by the way. Marlboro 100s. That was my brand through eighth grade. And um, So his, na- his name was Stanley Ring? Yeah, Stanley Ring. Yeah. <laughs> Stanley Old Ring. Silver. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He died. <laughs> yeah. Well, all those, you start that early smoking, you're going to die. That's yeah, just how it yeah. is. Yeah. He went down. Yeah. Uh, Hit by a train, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not smoking related at all. No. <laughs> was it a was it a train full of cigarettes? By the way, uh, actually, yeah, yeah, but that was total oh. coincidence. Yeah, we were all blown away by that. We were like, yeah, we knew we'd get him eventually. Yeah, <laughs> that's what the doctors warn you about. You got to stay away from trains full of cigarettes. You know, <laughs> the silver ring uh, is of course unreachable. It is locked behind security glass, and Nate is unfortunately without a key. And also locked behind the glass is a circular stone tablet about the size of a coffee can lid, which we later learn is an astrolabe, which is an instrument used to make astronomical measurements. 
Astrolabe. Astrolabe sounds like what George Jetson would call half a pussy. Am I wrong? <laughs> it's it sounds like it sounds like the solution to a, a a reduction in the supply of natural lube. So they they create this Astrolabe, mm. which which makes me wonder what natural lube is. What, what is, <laughs> do, they just, do they just sell bottles full of dude spit? Is that what? Dude spit or, you know, lady juice, but that's, I don't know how you, I don't know how you get that in a bottle. (laughs) Well, this particular bottle of Astrolabe has a central indention, it's it's not a bottle, okay? This particular Astrolabe has a central indention of a diameter suspiciously close to the diameter of a The Ring. It's weird how these items are obviously meant to go together somehow, but nobody has ever thought to combine them. Well, not yet. Oh, spoilers. Down, boy. Down. (laughs) (laughs) While Nate jots a few notes into his Things I Want to Steal notebook, a 20 years younger Sully can be seen pacing in the middle distance behind Nate. Sully, currently known as equally suspicious grown man, (laughs) enters the frame just as Nate skitters away. Sully is also quite interested in the artifacts contained in this glass case, and he's interested in proper preparation. He brought a damn key. Oh, imagine that. Also, two people interested in the same ring Mm -hmm. who just happened to be in the same museum Mm -hmm. on the same day. This thing, this thing has been in this museum God knows how long, and we all (laughs) picked today. Huh? Okay. Yeah, I'm I'm really glad that the writers doubled down on well maybe like this is the third game, tripled down <laughs> on including coincidences as just a core component to their stories. I yeah. would be very upset if they didn't. Very upset. Mm-hmm. Sully slyly inserts the key into the keyhole at the bottom of the glass case, but after a few jiggles, we're left wondering if Sully was able to actually open the case with this key. You know, perhaps the key didn't work. Hmm. Either way, Sully just sort of saunters out of the room. The glass case is still closed, and so apparently he's planning to nab the item later after coming back with maybe a more fitting key. It's kind of hard to tell exactly what's going on here. I, I thought that maybe he was just verifying the key works for later. He's like, oh, fit right in there, pull that back out, and later I'm going to come back and steal the goods. That's that's true, that's true. I, I would hope, though, if that were the case, we would hear Solly say that out loud like he has <laughs> every single other plan that he's ever had in the history of the series. It's true. Uh, so, that is true. I don't know. But little Nate, little young, little young baby Nate here, he thinks waiting is for nerds, and he heads toward the case. But, of course, he is immediately interrupted by a security guard who grabs him by the shoulders and literally throws him out the door <laughs> Looney Tunes style. It's great. <laughs> yeah, and I... I specifically took issue with the anvil that came crashing down on him afterward, too. Very out of place for this game. I did not think that fit. Uh, Nate, he stands up. He dusts himself off just in time to see Sully again. This time, Sully is exiting a different door of the museum. Nate pursues slowly, cautiously, like ninja stink on an enemy butt. (laughs) Mm, Interesting. Okay. (laughs) Which means that the ninja was... Really close to his butt at yeah. some point. I guess. Oh, I got what that. We're, what we're getting out of there. Okay. Just make sure. I want to make sure we're all on the same page here. Mm-hmm. Nate follows Sully to a shady key maker who hands Sully what appears to be another key. Now, maybe this one is slightly altered according to Sully's most recent scouting session. It would seem weird to get another key if Sully already unlocked the case, after all. 
Yeah, fair. You know, maybe he just likes the way it feels when keys go inside locks. <laughs> he's not really looking to steal anything. He's just a weird lock pervert. <laughs> that would be really hard to argue at court. <laughs> now, my personal hope is that the audience's confusion here is purposeful and is meant to establish Sully as a man with a plan far beyond our video game player idiot comprehension. And Nate's ability to follow undetected, therefore, seeds our understanding of why these two would eventually become friends and cohorts in crime. That's my hope, anyway. Mm. Sully slips the key into his own wallet and returns to his jaunt around the city with Nate in tow. Ah, oh, you know, maybe Sully is just trying to lure a boy. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's the only plan I see working at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I hope this game doesn't go in that direction. I really don't. <laughs> At one point, Sully meets up with a woman, a woman who looks very much like a 20 years younger Kate, the woman who stole Nate's ring in the intro of the game. <gasps> the Kate? <laughs> I already defined which Kate we're talking about here, Travis. Listen, I dated a Kate. Oh, I guess this would have been, gosh, we were little, probably third grade or so. We, we sh I remember we showed each other our temporary Power Rangers tattoos. So, <laughs> And let me guess, yours was bigger? Yeah, this, yeah about the same size. <laughs> All right. Eventually, Nate gets close enough for a very subtle snatch and grab job, taking Sully's wallet without Sully noticing. Now, I know what you're thinking. How is it possible that Sully fell victim to a snatch and grab when he seems way too smart for that? Right? And actually, I was wondering why it's called a snatch and grab job. Don't those words mean the same thing? <laughs> it's like a take and take job? Seems redundant. Yes. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Either way, Sully actually did know that Nate took his wallet. Uh, because just when Nate slows his escape to a cheeky stroll, Sully jumps out from an alleyway to grab Nate by the arm. Oh, okay, I get it. So Nate snatched the wallet, and then Sully grabbed Nate. That's oh. a classic by-the-book snatch-and-grab job. Got a snatch it. and then grab job. Yep, snatch and I then think also you're grab. Right. Mm -hmm. but, but wait, 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 wait. So if Sully didn't grab Nate, then would we have just witnessed a snatch job? <laughs> I mean, I don't know exactly what a snatch job is, I guess, uh, before playing this game, but I assumed it was something way different. It requires astrolabe for sure. <laughs> the capture turns. To, maybe that's how. <laughs> maybe the, maybe that's how the vagina became half. In, oh yes. In your Jetson scenario, I wonder if that's what it was. Could have been. Well, it's a snatch job. I mean, that's why. A, that that would be a snatched, a snatched, a grabbed snatch job. Maybe. Yes. I think you just named the episode. <laughs> <laughs> the capture, this capture here, it turns to camaraderie as Sully and Nate find common ground with all the thieving they love to do. The meeting ends with Nate giving Sully's wallet back to him, and the audience is left with the understanding that a mutually beneficial thieves reunion between these two characters is inevitable. Yeah, I was definitely thinking that because we just went through two full-on well-written and read narratives where Nate and Sully were... <laughs> Thick as thieves together. <laughs> Writing yeah. on the wall there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and the opening scene in this game where they also do thief stuff together All right. was also, it factored into that, you know, that con that conclusion. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe this origin story that we're talking about here doesn't really traffic so much in, like, mystery, but it does 
get us excited to see just how Nate and Sully's relationship will develop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and hey, Travis, you know that wallet that Nate gave back to Sully a few moments ago? <laughs> well, mm. sneaky little Nate, he grabbed the key before giving the wallet back to Sully. Oh, that little rascal. Mm-hmm. That scamp. You know, it would have been bad news, though, if the key didn't work that time. Like, imagine how awkward it would be for Nate to just show up in that locksmith's office requesting tweaks to the key. Or or maybe my other theory is correct, and, and Sully had the working key and tested it out, left, got a second key that didn't work, and then tricked Nate into taking that one. Ha! A plot that only Sully's mustache could come up with. Actually, better idea, what if Sully's mustache could just open locks? Oh, my God. Just Please. pull it out and just plug it right in, put it back on. Oh, that's amazing. I, I've long complained about the lack of creativity in video game lockpicking minigames. But if that becomes one, <laughs> <laughs> I take everything back. That will completely <laughs> revitalize the whole industry, the cottage universal, industry. Yeah, universal mustache <laughs> key. It's coming. That's a James Bond thing right there for sure you control you, you have to select which hair you control and then use the two thumbsticks to individually control the hairs and kind of weave in there and everything oh my god imagine the verbs you could come up with to use that in other situations throughout the game right oh my god i know I'm right not gonna, i'm not going to imagine that because and then you have to like leak. shave for smaller doors so that you can you have to like trim the mustache to get through oh that would be a great we're, we're on to something man and then how do you force grow the mustache when you need it back do you like right. take a certain pill? Do you just like squeeze really hard and like, and it pops out? Yeah, I'm not sure. Do- doesn't drinking, uh, maybe this is what my mom told me, but doesn't drinking milk help, help your facial hair come in faster? She always, she said, drink all your milk. So, and my dad would be like, yeah, it puts hair on your chest. And I, I just associated that with hair growth, I guess. <laughs> There's so many things wrong with that. Plus milk mustaches, right? No. The whole adage of putting hair on your chest is usually reserved for things that are, like, hard to drink or, like, alcohol, Bernie, something like that. I just didn't <laughs> want to drink my milk. All right. Right. You want to but be you like didn't your want father? hair on your chest at the Hell age yeah. of four. You- <laughs> I, I mean, you, you see your Appalachian rural-ass mountain dad walk around shirtless your whole life, and you're like, man, that must be what a manly man looks like. I need to get some fuzz on my front bumper. <laughs> I'm glad my my dad left when i was five because i don't think i want to grow up wanting that he had uh, little charlie cutter pigtails on his chest hair and everything man he looked good <laughs> i don't doubt it i don't doubt it all right <laughs> where the fuck were we here okay. <laughs> my bad so nate he returns to the museum this time at night after it's closed with, of course, the key in hand, he Spider-Mans from rooftop to rooftop, entering the museum through an open window on the top floor. He finds the case. He unlocks it. Ah, well, there goes all my theories. <laughs> he takes both the ring and the astrolabe, and immediately he does what no researcher had ever thought to do before. He puts the circle-shaped ring into the circle-shaped hole in the astrolabe, <gasps> yeah, oh. causing this mechanism to do a weird activation dance. But Nate's awe doesn't last long enough for him to understand the purpose of the now-moving astrolabe. How could no one have seen these two things fit together? I mean, they look exactly (laughs) like they fit together. They were in the same case together. It's a wonder they didn't slip into each other while in the box on the way to the museum. (laughs) That's true. So, yeah, Nate, his awe doesn't last long uh, because 
he in walks Sully and Kate, you know, and they walk in all casual, you know, like they mm. just entered through the fucking front door. There was no spider manning necessary for these two. Kate, she walks up, she snatches the stone tablet from Nate, but before she can grab the ring, Nate takes off to the roof in an exciting rooftop escape sequence. And as always, the bad guys in pursuit here are totally inept. Oh, man. And I love a good rooftop escape sequence. You got jumping. Mm-hmm. You got running. You got grabbing onto stuff. You got a little mm-hmm. bit more jumping. You got grabbing mm-hmm. to even more stuff. You got landing. Can we jump? You got to land. Then you got grabbing again. Then you mm-hmm. got climbing. Think of all the bruised shins. Oh, <laughs> no. Ugh. I don't want to think about that at all. That's the worst <laughs> thing to get bruised. No kidding. Except an existing bruise. When you re-bruise mm-hmm. an existing bruise, that's oh. worse than Amen. a newly bruised shin. But uh, either way, it sucks. So I said, I said all the bad guys here were inept, but really there's one bad guy who's not really inept because there's one bad guy who almost nabs Nate, but I guess not before being shot by Sully. So still a little inept. He's still a little inept. You're right. Mm. right. So it seems maybe Sully has defected from Kate's team now and is trying to court young Nate. I don't like the way you put that. (laughs) He's trying to ask for Nate's hand in holy (laughs) thievery. Trying to lure a boy into, into thieving. Into thieving, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. They got to fill up that windowless white van with lollipops somehow. They he's do. not gonna. He's got to no, steal them. That's the only way to do it. <laughs> you idiot. <laughs> All right. So the two, these two new friends, they head to a nearby bar that allows children. That Sully insists is safe. Sully, no, don't take a boy to a bar. We just talked about this. Don't do it. It's <laughs> not a good look. No. Here, the friendship deepens as they discuss their individual dark histories. Nate was raised in a boarding school, so he has no parents. Mm. He claims to be the descendant of Sir Francis Drake, meaning the ring is an heirloom and stealing it is just taking it back. Sure, sure. Let's believe everything this kid says right now. He has done absolutely zero <laughs> trustworthy things in your presence. You you both met trying to steal something. But when he says he's a descendant of a treasure hoarding dead guy, oh, he must be telling the truth. <laughs> After enough trust has been established between the two new friends, Nate reveals that the astrolabe isn't really an astrolabe. It's a decoding device, and Nate intends on discovering its secrets, which include, to no game player surprise, a bunch of hidden treasure. <gasps> yeah, no, 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 oh, sorry. not surprised. I yeah, meant to. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yep. The two reach a deal to work together to find this hidden treasure. Yeah, so far our precedent is that uh, hidden treasure really just means finding a bunch of silly dust that turns everyone into bloodthirsty <laughs> nether realm ghouls. But sure, maybe this time it's a pot of gold. Why not? <laughs> so let's flash back to the present, where Sully and Nate lie dead in a dark, wet alleyway. <gasps> <laughs> yeah, okay, that's a good gasp. Is is good. You say you saved up for that one. I can tell. <laughs> but but I'm kidding though. Can you can you do a reverse gasp? What does that sound like? so yeah it turns out that that ofi bodyguard from earlier uh (laughs) mule mule starfish pucker (laughs) there's gotta be come on (laughs) as as i'm as i'm saying this it's your job travis you got to think of a bunch more funny ways to pair name uh of animal and butthole okay (laughs) okay that's your your job that's your job okay so all right so it turns out that that Ophi bodyguard from earlier, Charlie Cutter, you know, the one who supposedly shot Nate and Sully, causing Talbot and Kate to hightail it out of that alley, he's on our side. Yeah, he's a he's a typical Uncharted 2, Chloe kind of double-crossing character, you know, and I like him. Hmm, okay. And the icing on this cake 
is that Nate switched out his silver ring. So the one Kate took is a, a fake. Mm. Yeah. So this entire plan was simply a way to lure Talbot and Kate out of hiding so that our good thieves could discover the bad thieves as hiding place and presumably the hiding place of the coffee can lid decoder thing that Kate took 20 years ago. Right? Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so with the help of Chloe. Wait, so, so not Charlie. I mean, uh, Bronco Starfish. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is Chloe from Uncharted 2. Oh, who just shows up out of nowhere? Yes, exactly. She just shows up out of nowhere. So okay. with Chloe's help, they follow Kate and Talbot's escape vehicle to an abandoned building not far away. And once inside, they discover a hidden door which opens to an underground passageway, which leads them into an old service tunnel full of winding passageways, locked doors, and narrow corridors that everyone except for Charlie seems to navigate easily. Because Charlie, it turns out, has a bit of a fear of tight places. Mm, which is fitting for a guy whose name equates to horsey brown hole. But treasure <laughs> hunting is a tough business. I mean, especially when you're claustrophobic. So mm. this also made me think of someone perhaps being afraid of tight places or places that are kind of cool. Like someone is like, hey, this place is pretty tight. I like it. Another guy's like, oh, God, what? No, hurry. Someone hang up ugly wallpaper. Ah! <laughs> They follow the tunnels to an abandoned London underground station where Talbot and Kate have set up a pretty impressive and comfortable hideout. The walls are lined with glass cases full of manuscripts and artifacts. This feels more like a cared for museum quality collection of archives than a bad guy den. Mm. Um, The three men arrive as Kate and Talbot, unable to see our approaching heroes, are in the middle of discussing Charlie's actions, or should I say, pony pucker butts actions (laughs) now it's a good thing they waited until our three boys showed up before they went about discussing that that double crossery that charlie had done makes me wonder kind of what they talked about on the ride over right right yeah it's like uh they're in the car and talbot's like hey hey kate i just can't believe he's afraid of tight spaces it's weird right and i can't believe he shot those two we told him not to, didn't we, Talbot? I think we did. We had, we had that very conversation. Don't shoot those two guys, right? Right. We said specifically, you'll see two guys. Be sure. Mm-hmm. Try your best not to shoot them. Remember that with all your might. You know, it's a good thing he doesn't know what we drive and can't follow us. <laughs> That's right. Very, very purposefully obscured our car from him. That was a smart move uh, mm-hmm. idea that I, I think I had, right, Talbot? That was me. Seems like seems like, seems, seems like you. Yeah. yeah, he's also got disgusting breath, and I hate his face. I don't oh, know. If, did yeah. we ever talk about that? <laughs> several times, but I could talk mm-hmm. about it several more times. Yeah. What a his face looks like the hindquarter of a rideable equestrian type of type of animal. Uh, I don't. I can't think of one off the top of my head, but you know, <laughs> horse like, right? It reminds me of that. Plus, if you were to add to that visual, like a butt. You know, right. poop shoot. Yes. He yeah. kind of looks like his name, which is <laughs> rare for oh, a lot of people. Right. We, yeah. we did rename him Charlie Cutter uh, <laughs> when we found him. We kidnapped him. We I think he told him. us his real name was Emmanuel. We were like, nah, <laughs> you're a Charlie Cutter. No, you're a Charlie Cutter, a Charlie bud. Cutter. Yeah. You smell like a Charlie Cutter. You look like a Charlie Cutter. You punch like a Charlie Cutter. Should we, should we start talking about like what he just did? Yet? Yeah. Or should we wait? 
a little bit longer for no particular reason. I thought you were back to reading the script personally. I zoned out. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's do that. Let's read the script. <laughs> I looked away. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> so Kate is, uh, is she actually just kind of wants to move on. She has both of the <laughs> coffee can lid thing and the silver ring. <laughs> well, <laughs> would you, would you, would you believe, believe if I told you this, Travis? She doesn't have the silver ring. She has a silver ring, right? Oh. Because she just now realizes that the ring that she has is a fake because she attempts to place it into the ring, into the coffee can lid thing, only to find out that it doesn't even fit. Oh. You know, which seems... Seems like a weird oversight on Nate's part. I mean, he had the fake ring created, right? Couldn't he have just said, hey, match these dimensions exactly? He knew uh, those correct dimensions. I don't know why he had to make it different size. That is weird, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe he just needed some way to tell them apart. I don't know. I don't know, man. I feel like I feel like if he would have made it the correct size, they would have spent... They wouldn't have instantly come to the conclusion that they've yeah. been tricked. They would instead feel like like maybe this thing is out of batteries. Like, hey, did you check that? They would they would have thought something else was at play before that. Or maybe I don't know. Right. This whole thing is horse shit. Uh, they oh. could maybe think that. Yep. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Charlie Cutter shit. <laughs> <laughs> so they realize that they've been duped, and they immediately realize Charlie or Cutter, as they kind of just call him, is a double crosser. The entire herd of evildoers takes off to find our three amigos, not knowing, of course, that our amigos are in the very same room they are. Oh. Yeah. So with the bad guys gone, our boys are free to roam the underground artifact cache where they find a journal written by famed archaeologist and writer of the opening epigraph, T. Lawrence, laying next <laughs> oh, no. to the coffee can lid, which Kate coincidentally left behind. Together, the two clues point to our final destination, Arabia in search of the lost city of Ubar, a city of immeasurable wealth hidden somewhere in the vast desert sands. Man, this coffee can lid, why would Kate leave this very crucial piece of the puzzle behind? It's like she wants to be followed. <laughs> At this point, Chloe makes a really good point that's worth noting for all of you with an ear toward figuring out where the monsters of this game come in. Oh, Okay, one sec. Let me just go ahead and put down this book detailing how to track Mothman. Okay, now I'm on board. <laughs> See, Sir Francis Drake was sent by Queen Elizabeth to Arabia to find the lost city of Ubar. So why shield its location, even from the queen herself, with all these decoders and ciphers and silver rings? Turns out Drake found something that he knew should stay hidden. Yep. Yep, monster stuff. Wacky, backy, tacky monster stuff. Ugh. Almost certainly wacky, backy, tacky monster stuff. Now, it's important to note that at this point in the Uncharted timeline, Nate has firsthand experience with unearthing wacky, backy, tacky monster stuff, then fearing its power, then resealing it, then leaving with no treasure at all and being cool with that. Yeah. And this doesn't happen just once. This has happened multiple times. Fairly recently, it seems. So he knows what it means when a famed explorer goes to excruciating lengths to hide stuff. Yeah, and as you're playing, you think, man, this time it's going to be different. Because after all, <laughs> this is the third game, and we need fresh ideas. Sure, we can make a witty man-monkey climb all over anything you want, or make goat-headed demons run around in broad daylight. Sure, we played the first two games. But what's the motivation here? At what cost? What are we achieving with all these wacky-backy-tacky beings? God, I wish I was as optimistic as you, Travis. I don't know if that's going to happen. Mm. Uh, Chloe is close on my team, though, because she steps in to state the obvious. And Nate's response, well, it, it doesn't make any damn sense. 
No, hang on a second. Because if you recall the last time we went halfway around the world searching for a lost city, things got more than a little dicey. Yeah, but this time we have the upper hand. I mean, look, Drake only had half the clues. Lawrence only had half. We have both. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand the logic. Having an easier path to the monster-creating goo doesn't make the monster-creating goo go away. That's a really good point. That's, I mean, truly. So we have to figure that Nate and company have already made the character leap from greedy treasure hunters to noble heroes, and they realize they need to find this monster goo stuff before the bad guys do so they can prevent the bad guys from doing bad guy goo stuff. Sure, maybe. All right. Right? Let's just, let, let, let's accept that that's the motivation here. Uh, but bigger problem, Arabia is fucking big. Mm. How, how will it? they know where in the 600-mile expanse of the Rubakali Desert that this city of Brass exists? How, how will they know in that entire desert, like, where the city is? You know? Um, I mean, well, it's a Google Map? I don't, I don't know. Big no, city. Google Maps, you're right. Google Maps, maybe? Well, Satellite right, imagery? That'd be one thing. Could do that. <laughs> That'd be probably the most logical thing. I mean, that's a, that is one thing, but it's also a kind of the one thing. <laughs> really. <laughs> uh, well, they, they don't have that, I guess. Okay. But T.E. Lawrence's journal does point them to France and Syria, where our gang aims to find some clues to help them pinpoint the needle in the sandbag, you know, mm. the, the brass needle in the sand stack, sand haystack. I'm, uh, hey, like I'm. That. I'm picking up what you're dropping, unless, again, it's a needle in a haystack, and it would be hard for me to do that. But, no, I, I get your point. Uh, but, I mean, that pesky T.E. Lawrence and his easy-to-decode journals leading people to the naughty monster goo, you know, he's the real bad guy here. He's like Sir Francis Strick, just leading people to their demise, being all mysterious with his clues. Don't leave clues if it's going to kill people. Uh, a fucking man, right? Right. So we join Sully and Nate in France en route a nearby 11th century chateau that promises to house the next clue to finding the lost city of Ubar, or at least the next clue leading to the next clue leading to the next clue <laughs> leading to the next clue to finding the lost city of Ubar. You know how it is. You've, you've played this game. I got you. Once inside the chateau, a few solved puzzles lead Nate to a secret passageway through a fireplace, one that Nate falls into without any return route. So he just kind of follows the tunnels. Hmm. Which I guess is probably good. I mean, I can't imagine him finding hidden tunnels and then thinking, well, time to go back. <laughs> <laughs> this is not where I'm meant to be. What are these hidden tunnels? Uh, the, the tunnels, guess where they lead? <gasps> treasure. Ah, uh, I mean, no, I'm just yay. I'm just oh, yeah. no, okay. sorry. I wasn't expecting <laughs> treasure. I was prepared for a, for a, ah, uh, okay. Got gotcha. you. You should, you should, you're right to be prepared for disappointment when I'm talking. So I got you though. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, it leads to it leads to just a well outside the chateau. You know, oh. typical underground passage stuff, carrying water. Basically, I hear you, bud. I I love a secret tunnel. It can really just go nowhere. I mean, I have several serpentining around my home and property. They really keep the victims <laughs> guessing, and the victims seem to love them. They run around there all day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I I I, fi hmm. I do find it weird though that like uh the tunnel that goes directly from the fireplace goes to the water well. I feel like I feel like that's going to that's going to be problematic for for, you know, keeping a fire lit. Right. Know. Am I wrong? Yeah. Uh, no, I, fireplaces I, work, maybe. I know I don't either, but I, I, I I'm finding your needle in your haystack there. I think I get what you're laying down. <laughs> uh, so it, even worse than not finding treasure and and being led to just a well outside the chateau where I will remind the listener they already were. 
They they actually started outside of there and he made his way back somehow. Cool. Uh, even worse than that, the bad guys, they've caught up with Nate and Sully and are waiting in the courtyard, eager to get some of Nate's bullets inside of him. Mm-hmm. And after killing everyone, which Nate does very quickly, Nate and Sully continue searching the chateau until finding an unfresh corpse, which mm. shouldn't be weird, as Nate right. and Sully just made like thousands of fresh corpses. This one is weird because it's definitely one of Talbot's men, but it appears very decomposed. How could such a recent corpse decompose so quickly? Yeah. And well, at this point, they can't rule out zombie dust. I mean, why not? Mm. We've already declared it's in the universe. But I also think if you are not the type of person to hydrate regularly, when you die, you just kind of uh, ball sack faster than other <laughs> maybe more watery corpses would. So it could it just could be a water thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like like dropping a hacky sack and some talcum powder. Just <laughs> like that's that's the image I get on that. Yep, yep. Uh, so they they explore the chateau more until finding a hidden alchemy lab, which they realize belonged to a man named John D. Now John mm-hmm. D. He was mentioned earlier, but only really in passing, and was quickly tossed aside as just some weirdo who was into the occult. But it turns out John D. played an integral part in helping Sir Francis Drake find the lost city of Ubar long ago. He also, given the nature of this hidden magic laboratory, <laughs> played an integral part in all of the monster stuff that is sure to come. Yeah, not to mention, let's be honest, John D. also just sounds like the name of a really cool guy who plays saxophone <laughs> at jazz clubs. I mean, maybe he's the blues brother here. Oh, you're right, you're right. Uh, John D's great. I don't know if, I don't know if you heard him. He's, his first album is my favorite. It was called A Cult Above the Rest. <laughs> and, <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah, and I swear, I swear, I'm not lying to you when I say this. It leads with the most amazing alto solo I've ever heard. It oh, is wow. magic. Yeah, like, like wow. for real magic though. Like it's real. It's real actual magic. Damn. Yeah. And what's yeah. an occult? Yeah, okay, I got it. Okay, wow. Underneath the alchemy lab, Nate and Sully discover one half of an amulet. The other half, we assume, is in Syria, right now being recovered by Chloe and Charlie. But as is standard with uncharted storytelling, the bad guys show up at this very moment to relieve Nate of his new amulet and to fail at killing Nate and Sully when they had the chance. Uh, The bad guys (laughs) leave with Nate and Sully still alive, and that still aliveness it really contributes to Nate and Sully escaping. Oh, man, it really contributes. Yeah. <laughs> Number one reason they escaped is they're still <laughs> alive, as I would say. <laughs> With the realization that Chloe and Charlie may have also been followed, Nate and Sully head to Syria, hmm. where they find their way to an old castle that's been modified into a museum. Quick, quick note, I just realized. Um, so the bad guys know, obviously, where Nate and Sully are. What if the bad guys didn't know where Char- Chloe and Charlie are? They're leading them right to him now, right? Like, now the bad guys just follow Nate and Sully there. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, you're man. Right. Okay, well. You're right. So, they get to uh, they get to this, this modified museum castle thingy, and they sneak in to find that their hunch is correct. Uh, henchmen with guns guard the interior and try their damnedest to murder Nate and Sully. They fail again. They- I contend yeah. it's the same. It's the same bad guys that followed them there. As my, as my thinking, <laughs> you're probably right. And 
Speaking of their ineptus, ineptness, uh, Nate and Sully, I mean, they kind of make it easy for them because they can't sneak for shit, man. Right. Constant blabber mouthing. I mean, I get it. We as, we as players need, we need a little bit of, uh, uh, conversation to kind of push it along, but just blabber mouthing out loud when they should be sneaking quietly about how they don't want to be detected by henchmen, but saying <laughs> it loud enough that they're easily detected by henchmen. I mean, come on, guys. You're supposed to be good at this. <laughs> Eventually, Nate and Sully do locate Chloe and Charlie, who have apparently not been captured and actually seem to be doing pretty well for themselves. Hmm. There's even time for some levity, which I appreciate Uh, in this exchange. The game cheekily addresses that the existence of cell phones should have made a long distance conversation easier, therefore preventing the need for Nate and Sully Uh. to travel across the world. Right. Right. However, narratives, they often have to sort of hobble their way into a reason for severing communication (laughs) and uncharted three. I love it. Basically just tells the video game emperor that it's naked right to its fucking (laughs) face. It's great. (laughs) What happened to you two? We've been trying to reach you for over 24 hours. Oh, right. I need to top up my minutes. You're using a prepaid phone. Mate, those contracts are a complete ripoff. (laughs) What? Mine's broken again. So Charlie and Chloe, they have discovered that queen Elizabeth's spy network was incredibly extensive and was even part of a hermetic secret society called the British Occult Secret Service, or the Boss. If you, if you to, uh, <laughs> wow, I never, I never put that together. I didn't until just now. Uh, wow. So yeah, but but I did it first though. So love the you record did. show. No, yeah. you're smarter than me for sure. <laughs> so the, there's the secret society of which the evil ring stealing Kate Marlowe. Oh yeah, by the way, her last name is Marlowe. I don't know if we mentioned that earlier. We did not. Kate Marlowe is a modern day member. Uh, so it's no wonder she wants to find this lost city of Ubar so eagerly. Ah, lost city of of Ubar LCU. So. I don't think that one means anything. I was just seeing maybe it's something. Uh, But no, you know what? She's super duper into monsters. And Mm -hmm. honestly, and I got to say this, I know she's a bad person. She's a a villain. And even though I don't buy a lot of the monster madness in these games, I do find that the most attractive thing about her. Hmm. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. Yeah. So Charlie and Chloe's discovery leads the reunited group of four in search of their next stop, which is a hidden crypt entrance somewhere on the castle grounds. But our group of four gets, mm-hmm. I don't know, I guess splintered a bit when Charlie receives a mysterious dart to the neck from Talbot. <gasps> Talbot's mouth specifically, I think. Oh, he just came up and he might have shot it. Gave him a big hit. There's a dart. Okay. Yeah, there's, <laughs> it was right in his mouth. He just walked, walked up. <laughs> he didn't spit it. He just bumps into him with his mouth <laughs> between his teeth like a woodpecker. <laughs> this dart has some kind of mind control poison, which forces Charlie to hand his notebook of secrets over to Talbot. Hmm. Talbot escapes with Charlie's clue-filled notebook before he can be apprehended. Ah, oh, and poor Charlie. He had some of his best pickup lines jotted <laughs> down in that journal, too. So now he's destined to die alone. Ah. <laughs> On the off chance that he finds the one girl at the bar who's okay with him saying, wait, wait, wait. I got something really cool to say, to say to you. Just let me grab a notebook here real quick. Let me flip to the right one. Let me look at your face. No, that one's not going to work for you. No, <laughs> this one <laughs> this one comments on your attractiveness, and you're like a three, so that's not going to work. Let me go here. <laughs> Out of 15, though, so. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, they find this crypt entrance, uh, and they help a confused Charlie along the way. And the way they handle Charlie is actually quite delightful 
uh, and a little charming. It's uplifting, you know, considering that he just gave away the journal and with it a bunch of clues and he freaking tried to fist fight Nate. Right. They actually treat him with kindness, not anger. And I love seeing it. Their mm-hmm. treatment is especially noteworthy. Not a note that will be documented in Charlie's book, of course, because it's gone. (laughs) But their treatment is especially noteworthy, considering the crypt is full of very, very narrow passageways. And as you may recall, we've already established that even a mentally sound Charlie has a crippling fear of enclosed spaces. Thankfully, though, the effects of the poison wear off pretty quickly. Yeah, and and poor Charlie coming to realize he doesn't have the notebook. You ever do the 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 keys, wallet, phone, pat down, mm-hmm. and then panic when one's missing? And now in this crypt with his claustrophobia, that poor bastard. <laughs> yeah, Charlie. Charlie's like, all right, keys, good. Wallet, good, good. Okay, phone, good. <laughs> Very close walls. Good. Oh, wait, I mean bad. I mean bad. <laughs> they're here like they're accounted for at all, but ugh, I don't actually want them on my list. That's why. Why are close walls on my list of things to check for? Oh, I need to update this checklist in my notebook. Hey, where's my notebook? Guys, do you know where my notebook went? <laughs> <laughs> so the crypt, it leads our gang to the other half of the amulet. Nate, being the ever-resourceful chap that he is, he managed to jot down in his own notebook a pencil rubbing of the amulet's first half before Talbot took it earlier. So he effectively has the details of both halves. With the full amulet, they now have a clue where to go next. Yemen. Mm. But Charlie decides that perhaps it's best if he, Charlie... Holds on to the second half, considering, you know, Nate's recent theft of the first. Right. And Nate gives this up pretty easily, too. He's like, yeah, sure, why not? You, you weren't just out of your mind from poison. I totally trust you. You seem 100% now. Here, have this thing we absolutely have to have. Yeah, I agree. Why doesn't Sully or Chloe step up to, like, be this ambulance keeper? Like, this would have been the time for them to step in and be like, hey, you know what? Actually, uh Recent the recent events indicate that maybe, yeah, maybe a third person should handle this. Hot potato, perhaps. You know, it seems like there's always a chance the treasure could turn you into a seething wretched ghoul. So maybe they wanted to avoid that. You know, here you take it. <laughs> maybe, maybe I know. Maybe they they were actually going to say something, but they couldn't because. The sound mm. of Talbot's men nearby distracted him. Yep. Oh. It's time for another bullet-filled escape sequence. Now, sadly, Charlie falls behind, and Talbot pins him down and, well, takes the second half of the amulet. Ah, well, you know, and that explains it. Charlie takes the sep- second half of the amulet because what if he's freaking in on it, man? He's <laughs> oh. giving up the journal and his half of the amulet? Give me a freaking break, butthole cutter. <laughs> Wait, so it cuts the butthole? I'm sorry. When I said it, I was like, you know what? You didn't do it right. You did not. You did, you did not do it right. Hey, you know what? I have about 40 years on this earth. I personally haven't encountered a situation in which a butthole would need to be cut, but it probably exists, and there's probably a tool for it. There probably is a tool, a butthole cutter out there. So, Man, what I meant to okay. say was Colt Chud Spuckler. It's getting hard to come up with butthole terms, to be honest with you. I th- the harder one is, is horse terms. How many different types of horses are there out there? I mean, I got colts lined up. I got mares, mustangs. I was ready to go with, with horses. God I got equestrian damn. terms all day long. But for butthole, right. I think we spent them. I'm spent uh, on I butthole. <laughs> I don't know. Let's tag team this here. You've got your list. Let's <laughs> let's run through. We can, come up, we can come up with some butthole terms real quick. Now, the listener might be like, no, don't say it out loud because now I know what you're going to say later. But But... 
it's still going to be funny because you don't know what what horse name Travis is going to pair with it, right? So let's get mm. some buttholes. We got poop shoot, but that's like two words. Uh, you you might have a, like a horse name and poop shoot. Fine. Sure. Um, sure. What about uh, the fudge factory? Your your fudge hole. Oh uh, right. Your, uh, See, I forget your, some I'm, of these. You got to go back to like second grade to get some of these. Like you got to put yourself in that mindset. Like, mm-hmm. um, how about uh, how about the uh, squirt? Something about squirt. Uh, oh, the s- squirter, squirter, maybe just squirter, or maybe mm. it's like just a cult squirter. You know, like <laughs> that. I mean, I don't know about that one. I I, I reserve <laughs> squirter for some other parts of my body that that excrete things. Yeah, yeah, personally, just personally, you know, the butthole, like right when you climax and you shit all over your partner. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I get it. You're one of those creeps who needs to be shit on to climax. You were describing a uh, a brood mare Sunday is what you were like a little <laughs> little, little fudge Sunday there. Uh, I love that you pulled out brood mare. Eh, well, I know, you know that's on your list and you're like, okay, I'm going to use that one now. Now's uh, yeah. the time for brood mare. Yep. Yep. <sighs> All right. Let's move on, shall we? Please. Uh, we didn't, we didn't, I, you know, just now we didn't come up with quite the, list of butthole terms i was hoping we would i'll be honest (laughs) (laughs) not as not as psyched on our productivity as i thought i was gonna be but uh you know it'll happen it'll happen so uh so charlie he slips away uh from after having the amulet taken from him but unfortunately in the process he ends up breaking his freaking leg Mm. this means of course that while Chloe and Sully help Charlie limp away, I mean, I'm now realizing you're know, probably not a traitor. He broke his leg and all that, you know. You know, he's probably just dumb. Get stuff taken from him a lot. Yeah, I got it. I got it. Or he's or he's a really good traitor. Ooh, you think, uh, yeah. You think of that, did you? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I didn't. So while this is all happening, Nate is therefore left to single-handedly defend the group during their escape, which also includes stealing a bus. That brought a bunch of tourists to the castle. So Sully and Nate they fly to Yemen, where they meet up with. Elena. Yeah, she's back. She's mm. back. I mean, <gasps> yeah, and it turns out. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, they go. <laughs> thank you for the light gasp. And she, as it turns out, is the ticket uh, to getting Nate and Sully inside the security filled uh, area of mm. Yemen. With her press credentials, she's able to escort Nate and Sully fairly easily as long as they pretend to be upstanding reporters. Now, why would she even agree to do this? Mm. Easy. Nate and Sully are kind of just lying to her about what, why they need her. <laughs> <laughs> Sully, I've got this. Just stay quiet. Okay. Listen, Elena. We've got a big favor to ask of you. I'm sorry we've not been up front until now, but um, we want you to watch us, uh, Jay. 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 Like the letter J. You want me to watch you, Jay? O. J O. Together, and you watch. Hmm? Yeah. Sorry, sorry, Nate. I don't, I don't follow what you're getting at, Jay. I don't follow. Um, it, you know what? Forget it. I just mean we need to all uh, 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 jet over J-O, uh, J-O, to the other side of this old city, and it, w- it would be helpful if you watched our back. Okay. Whew. Sorry, Sully. I, I tried. Not very hard, kid. <laughs> I tried to get her to. Let me try my mustache. Maybe, maybe I can. Yeah, you think that mustache will unlock the gate to Yemen? <laughs> you think that mustache can watch us jerk off? <laughs> Somebody's got to watch. Oh, there's an interesting exchange here between Nate and Elena that's worth mentioning. So she is wearing a wedding oh. ring, which Nate points out. 
And the audience is meant to assume that at some point between the events of Uncharted 2 and Uncharted 3, the two were engaged to be married, but that that marriage was called off for some reason. Now, Elena claims that she wears the ring because in Yemen, it helps uh, her to be perceived as a married woman. It helps her stature. It just helps in general for her to be seen as a married woman. Mm. She quips back that Nate is also wearing his ring, meaning his Sir Francis Drake silver ring around his neck. And this is a really cool display of the tension between the domestic desires of Elena and the world-traveling treasure-hunting desires of Drake. There's these two modes that the pair seemingly just can't make work. Elena's fantasy marriage is to a person. Nate's fantasy marriage is to unattainable treasure. I really like it. Yeah, it's interesting. Elena navigates them through the old part of the city where they happen to spy Talbot. And he's holding Charlie's notebook. Nate immediately takes off in stealthy pursuit, following Talbot into some building where Talbot, aware of Nate's pursuit the entire time, gets the upper hand by punching Nate and throwing him to the street. But not without Nate committing a sneaky grab and grab oh, job. Yes. Stealing back Charlie's notebook without Talbot knowing. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and Nate's there. He's got the notebook. He's like, uh. All right. <laughs> I lifted the notebook from Talbot. Let me just verify this is Charlie's real quick. Yeah, diagrams, codes here. Yep. Uh, ciphers. Oh, <laughs> list of pickup lines. Let's see here. <laughs> hey, babe, my last name's Cutter, and you know what rhymes with Cutter? That's right. Butter. As in you butter, come back with me to my place. My God, these are terrible. <laughs> the worst. Yet these are the ones he wrote down. That's... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Jeez. <laughs> so Nate, he escapes. He regroups with Sully and Elena and continues on their hunt through underground labyrinths, past more puzzles and a bunch of giant spiders until just sort of arriving at an ornate room <laughs> that seems to have been vandalized with cryptic warnings. Scrawled across ancient relief carvings are phrases like, The cup of death will be filled for thee, and... Let not the world deceive thee with its beauty. Okay. And you know, just once, I'd like to see the warnings properly warn people. Like why? I think we probably mentioned this in a past yeah. episode because this is, this is, this is tropey stuff 101. Why be cryptic if you want people to leave? Like how about get away from here? Right. <laughs> or, or well, I don't know. Just get away from here. That's perfect. Why not that? Yeah. Just that. Or like that weatherman from Family Guy, you know how he's always to the point. He's like, it's going to rain. Just, you know, get, get on out. You know, that'd be perfect. <laughs> Sully notes that these warnings are in English, which Nate then concludes must have been written by Sir Francis Drake himself. Now, dear listener, you are surely thinking what we are also thinking and thankfully what Elena is thinking and says. Okay, so so let me get this straight. Drake sails thousands of miles looking for this Atlantis of the Sands. And when he gets this far... What he finds here is enough to make him turn around, sail home, and hide all evidence of his voyage. Right. But you, you're going to keep going, aren't you? Uh, yeah. You know, and Elena doing the right thing here and convincing Nate that it's time for her to go home with her astute logic. <laughs> they retreat back to the city streets only to have Nate get hit with the same poison dart that got Charlie earlier, or probably not the exact, like this is like, it's an, it's another one, another one of the darts, probably not the same mm. one. There's like diseases and stuff. Yeah. And Cutter seems like a kind of guy who has a few diseases. Pro- no, you're Talbot's right. not a, he's not an animal. Come on. Sure. 
As Nate trips balls, he <laughs> runs through the streets of the city with the echoing sounds of Talbot's voice in his head, lulling Nate to succumb to Talbot's demands, just as Charlie did before him. Nate awakens, sitting at a table in the city streets with Talbot and Kate. Kate reveals that she's studied up on Nate's past, which includes his mother's suicide, his father's abandonment of him to the St. Francis boy's home, and, perhaps most surprisingly, that Nate isn't actually a descendant of Sir Francis Drake. <gasps> of course, Nate knows this. But to the audience, the revelation is surprising. Man, never trust an orphan thief boy. I say it all the time. Orphans? Mm -hmm. Sure. Boys? Some of them. Orphan thief boys? Never. Mm -mm. Never. Mm -mm. Never. Kate also reveals that Nate, while he was under the influence of the poison, he revealed that Sully happens to know the coordinates to the lost city of Ubar. Mm. Very good information for Kate. That she, she would like that information, right? Absolutely. So... Nate mounts an escape from the two, but doesn't get too far before being knocked out by Talbot himself with the help of a giant piece of wood swung at his head, of course. Donk. Nate awakens, tied to a chair in a warehouse. A man named Ramses greets him, saying that Kate paid him to get rid of Nate. But Ramses decided to double-cross her and let Nate live in exchange for revealing to him the location of the <laughs> lost city of Ubar. Mm. Things get sloppy, yep. as seems to happen with all of Kate and Talbot's hired henchmen, so Nate, well, he escapes. Yeah, and it's tough to hire good henchmen because the strongest part of their resumes comes out in the background check. <laughs> oh, crap, that reminds me. Uh, it is time for a word from our sponsor. Ooh. <clears throat> Being a villain bent on world domination is hard. It can be exhausting trying to stop good guys from doing good things. But hiring the goons to do your dirty work shouldn't be the hard part. That's why I started Better Goons. Our henchmen for hire are trained to not do all of the dumb things that lesser goons do. With Better Goons, we guarantee your team won't look only forward when walking. Throw a grenade on themselves. Oh. Announce the good guy's position, which serves mostly to reveal their own position. Delegate killing responsibilities to other henchmen while leaving the room. Just, you know, assuming the job has been done. That was for you, Kate. Breaking the fourth wall of this ad here, but that was probably, that's a good one. <laughs> Aim a gun. Oh, yeah, I'm still talking about things they won't do. I should probably reiterate that halfway through this very long list. They also won't. Aim a gun at the good guy while for some reason still standing within punch-receiving range. <laughs> Monologue about your master plan while the good guy's team has time to flank the area. Mm, yes. And finally, they definitely won't playfully toy with the good guy when the good guy is out of options, which only serves to buy time for more good guys to come to the rescue. Mm. <laughs> but we do guarantee that our goons will be flash frozen at peak freshness to ensure they arrive at your door ready to enjoy. If you are unsatisfied for any reason, simply return your better goon's corpse within 30 days for a replacement goon. No questions asked. <laughs> Even if there are plenty of questions worth asking, we won't. <laughs> and you won't. Mm. Now let me repeat that. No questions. You send money to our business address and we send people who love to murder other people to your home address. End of exchange. That's better goons, because you deserve to rule the world. Man, I love I can think of so many times a better goon would have come in really handy. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Maybe even getting a handy. 
from a better yeah. <laughs> dude, or just gooning with Wait, one would be fun too. Let me read back through our through our ad copy. Does it say our goons won't give you a handy? Oh, it doesn't say that. Oh, uh, thank that's God. unfortunate. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, we want we 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 want them to. We, right? We want them to give us a handy. I think so. I'm not sure. I think so. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm sure they'll do it. They're goons. I mean, come on. I mean, I you know you've already had it circulating. I found some ratings online of better goons, and I gotta say, people. Loving the surface. We got one here. Mikey from Omaha gave it five stars and said Better Goons helped him expand his methering territory threefold in just under a year. No more wow. nasty public schools for his daughter. They can afford private now. And he says with Better Goons, he doesn't have to pay out taxes for his employees because Better Goons are tax exempt. Ah, oh, that's so cool. I bet they filed as a church. Oh, I don't know if I, I bet that's what they did. Yeah, probably. I, I mean, they're goon-like. I bet they did yeah, that. Yeah, it seems skeevy. Yeah. Once outside, Nate finds himself in an abandoned shipyard surrounded by broken, rusty tankers. And of course, surrounded by more henchmen. Mm. Nate's mission now is to find Sully, who Ramses has indicated is also held captive somewhere nearby. After gunning and fisting his way through dozens of bad hey, guys. easy, Nate. <laughs> easy. <laughs> Nate spots a single, seaworthy, though still deteriorated ship just outside the influence of the ship junkyard. This ship must be the transport vehicle for Ramses and therefore must be where Sully is being held captive. Sounds pretty sure. Nate fights his way to and then throughout the ship, ultimately arriving in a holding room where in the center, a man sits tied to a chair with a bag over his head. Nate, relieved to have found Sully, removes the bag to discover that this man is in fact not a man. It's just a, it's just a straw dummy, Aww. which means it's a trap. <gasps> Ramsey, yeah, he calls down from above. Nate turns to find that he's in the crosshairs of Ramsey's gun. Mm. Nate puts his hands in the air and, well, I mean, he escapes. Of course he does. Yeah. But at least this time, it's not the henchman's ineptitude that allows Nate to escape, unless the henchmen, I guess, are responsible for placing canisters of explosive gas close enough to the hull to allow Nate's single <laughs> well-placed grenade to rupture it, right. causing the ship to take on water and slowly sink. Unless the henchmen were responsible for that, it's not due to their ineptitude. On the bright side, though... Nate did get confirmation that Sully was actually never here. See, Ramsey's claimed to have Sully simply as a way to try and get Nate to cooperate. Oh, man. Well, I mean, it's a good plan if he was trying to accomplish mostly nothing. (laughs) Nate escapes the sinking boat, uh, passes out, of course, and washes ashore in the very city where Elena is. No way. Yeah, he actually out loud calls this convenient, (laughs) but we all know what it really is. It's coincidence, okay? Convenience is intentional. Coincidence is not. I can't imagine washing up on shore like this was all part of Nate's master plan. Surely not. <laughs> sure. Boo. Beach Boo. shore. Get it? Sure. Surely no, not. Ah, go gonna, on. Still I'm gonna sorry. boo you. Nah, I'm sorry. Elena informs Nate that Sully is alive, but that he has been taken by Kate and Talbot in a desert convoy headed to the location of the lost city of Ubar. The problem is that the convoy has a few days lead on Nate and Elena. But Elena, she has a plan. Mm -hmm. All right. Nate is going to stow away on a cargo plane that's set to make a supply drop to the convoy. The plan also involves gracefully parachuting directly over the convoy so that Sully can be extracted as painlessly as possible. The plan, however, does not include... What actually happens? <laughs> uh, while high above the desert, Nate gets found out. A fight ensues. The rear cargo landing ramp gets opened and Nate gets sucked out of the plane where he deploys a parachute on a crate of cargo in order to survive the drop. And he lands 
not convoy adjacent as was the original plan, but convoy <laughs> very, very distant. I mean, the whole thing is complete horseshit, but it's also awesome. I mean, he's shooting <laughs> yes. at guys on a crate that's falling. The parachute doesn't pull for a while. He he must have dropped from outer space because he's in the air for a solid 32 <laughs> minutes <laughs> dropping without a parachute. It's pretty sweet, though. <laughs> After a long and hallucination-filled trek through the desert, Nate happens upon an abandoned settlement. Well, I mean, abandoned except for the Kate and Talbot henchmen who were stationed there, mm-hmm. presumably having been sent to investigate the downed cargo plane. Oh, yeah. I forgot to mention. So during Nate's escape from the plane, he managed to also catch it on fire, sending the entire thing in flames down to the desert. Man, and my small nitpick, I mean, I got a lot of nitpicks, but... One is, uh, his parachute lands just within a few hundred yards of the wreckage, but based on what I know about planes and velocity and parachutes, if you if you jumped out of a moving plane, even if it's crashing, that plane, it's moving so fast, it's going to be miles away from where Nate's parachute lands, but, you know, it's within walking distance for Nate. And, you know, nevertheless, just a, just a thing. <laughs> it's true. I don't think people think of uh, no planes very well or think of planes uh, in the way that they should. I remember um, one of my favorite things to do uh, on on planes is when we land, if I'm sitting next to a stranger or someone who's like relieved once we hit the ground, I like to remind them that, no, we're still going like 300 miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> if the plane crashes now, you're still dead. You're, yep. you're, you're dead. <laughs> yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. And they, they love me for it. They, they, they laugh do. and laugh. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> so uh, a good thing, though, there is water here at this coincidental settlement. Uh, so Nate, he murders a bunch of guys, drinks some water, and is very surprisingly rescued by a gang of robed locals on horseback, oh. uh, which is weird. Charlie so back. altogether, they gallop and shoot their way through all of the henchmen army until a dramatic scene fade to white. Yeah, they also, you know, they're on horseback and they're shooting a lot of debris and gates out of the way with these big RPG missiles they have while riding these horses. But you think launching a rocket while on horseback <laughs> might scare your horse? But these horses were fucking cool. They were John Wick horses, man. They did not care. (laughs) We rejoin Nate and his new friends that night. The leader of the group, a man named Salim, is worried about the caravan and becomes especially more so when Nate reveals that the caravan is searching for the lost city of Ubar. Salim has much to say about the lost city. And would you believe it? It has something to do with monsters. Salim then he relays the history of the lost city of Ubar. 3,000 years ago, King Solomon commanded the power of the jinn, demons born of smokeless fire, until they rebelled. He imprisoned them in a vessel of brass and cast it into the depths of the city. Iran became a place of evil, cursed by the tormented spirits of the jinn. The English must not reach the city. Come dawn, Nate, Salim, and Salim's small army ride to the caravan. Here, we have ourselves a good old-fashioned uncharted truck-to-truck chase scene. Mm-hmm. The fight to the front of the caravan is long. It's fraught with many bullets. And honestly, even though it's long, it's over too quick. I mean, it's so incredibly fun to play through. Yeah, indeed. After rescuing Sully, they continue riding toward the location of the lost city of Ubar in order to stop Kate and Talbot from reaching the magic monster-making stuff that we all know is there. Yeah. A desert sandstorm soon eclipses them, forcing them to navigate on a whim. As it happens, the dust storm is just the ticket they need to conveniently... Coincidentally! 
you're right, coincidentally, mm. arrive literally at the front door of the lost city of Ubar. <laughs> Apparently, this dust storm is just like sort of a magical cloak <laughs> that's been pivotal in hiding the lost city from treasure oh. for hundreds of years. Yeah, it's, well. I mean, it's, it's weird that nobody before thought to just kind of wander around in a sandstorm for a few minutes. Like, you just poke around, you know, see what's around. out there. Yeah. Wear some goggles, you know, see what you can see. Uh, but they, when they get there, they find out that the door, it's not easily openable. In fact, it's only openable when they go through a contrived Rube Goldbergian puzzle lock. Uh, of course. I mean, in, in all these games, we learned that they really overthought security back in the day. <laughs> Just a little are, too hard in the paint on the security. But guys always get through it, though, so did they I underthink guess. it? I mean, yeah. I guess. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's harder than just opening the door. That's Yeah, yeah I guess yeah. so. It slows them down. <laughs> Once they're through the doors, they behold the lost city of Ubar. It stretches for miles, a city of gilded minarets and elaborate brickwork, all cloaked within an ever-present curtain of wind and sand. The city is amazing. It even flows with water. The city is full of bubbling fountains. So, of course, Nate, he takes a, he takes a little drink. He takes a drink. What a dum-dum. Uh, <laughs> also, the city now has been renamed. It's now the found city of Ubar, no longer the lost city of Ubar. Uh, and somehow, <laughs> you know, now that, <laughs> now that we've made it through the sandstorm and we're inside, uh, the skies open up, still can't fucking see it on Google Maps. <laughs> I don't understand how it stays hidden. <laughs> maybe Google didn't even try. Maybe they didn't know about the name change. And they're like, no, it's lost. We're not even going to try. <laughs> <laughs> so Nate's Nate's quick break to quench his thirst. And fortunately, it pulls his attention just long enough for Kate and Talbot to show up and shoot Sully in the friggin' back. What? And Sully, as one is wont to do when shot in the back, he collapses mm. quick, hard, down. Yeah. Uh, Kate and Talbot, they casually just kind of walk away, leaving in their wake an army of henchmen that seem to have mutated somehow into fiery-eyed demon monsters with the ability to charge dash instantly around the city. These are by far the toughest troops Nate has faced so far. And here's the ookie-dookie-spooky-wacky-backy-tacky monsters we've been waiting on all day. And I gotta say, like you kind of alluded to, these these damn things, they do not care about Nate's bullets at all. They just don't care. They're tough. Yeah, just a, a short aside. I think this this fight scene was the only truly difficult fight, or the only fight scene in the entire series that I had trouble with. Like, yeah, it was same. really tough. <laughs> same. So just when Nate seems to have the upper hand, Talbot shows back up with another hallucinogen. This one dispersed not by a dart, but by a gas grenade. Why the change in tactic? Hmm. Well, Talbot's a man of iteration and evolution, of course. Oh. So, Nate, he's back to tripping balls, <laughs> reliving past moments of the game through a much skewed perspective. Nate and the player are unsure what exactly is real. That is, until Nathan decides not to shoot a bad guy because the bad guy is probably hallucination, and therefore shooting would just be a waste of ammo, only to learn that, no, that is a real bad guy. And they're all real bad guys. It's it's not fair, really. I mean, surely some of them must have just been in Nate's head, right? Man, I guess tripping balls is just tripping balls any way you slice and dice it. Nate, he blasts his way through this now found city until finding, hey, there's finding all over the place here. Who is this that he finds? But Sully. <gasps> hey, Sully, he's, he's here and he's alive. He's not really? collapsed. That's Are you weird. sure we're not high as balls? <laughs> that could be it. We might be high as balls. There's a good chance we're high as balls and we're seeing seeing people. He has doubts and he, and he does almost shoot this, this Sully dude. But Sully is able to actually talk him down. And apparently as soon as Nate drank the water, 
which importantly Sully did not, Nate mm. just went nuts and ran off is actually what happened. This is according to Sully, who watched the whole thing take place. <laughs> now, I personally would have loved to see this whole scene uh, from oh Sully's my perspective. <laughs> yes. Like from a distance, Sully is like, did Nate just walk through a bunch of bees? What's he swatting at? Wait, is he shooting at the bees now? What's going on? Nate, is it is it yellow jackets? Is it yellow jackets, Nate? Nathan. Oh God, he's not even listening. It's like he's tripping balls. Tell tell me, Nate, is is my is my strange and sudden Australian accent part of your hallucination? Or is this just me forgetting what Sully sounds like? Which 100%, one is it? 100% the latter, kiddo. I don't know. It's kind of a mid-Atlantic accent or transatlantic. Whatever was in the 50s. A little New Zealand, maybe. It rolled up in there somewhere. Slight like Hayway. There, mate. <laughs> yeah, no one so, said we're uh, talented enough to do this podcast we want to do. No one said that. We're just doing it anyway. <laughs> That's true. It's your fault for listening, listener. Uh, you're the idiot. <laughs> so... So they conclude that the entire city's water supply is tainted with this hallucinogenic agent and that the hallucination, not some godly spell, is what caused everyone in the city to go mad. Oh, so, oh, so no monsters, just monster energy drink. I get it. (laughs) But if Kate and Talbot get to the source of this, of the hallucinogen, that's a hard word to say. It sure is. But if Kate and Talbot get to the source of the hallucinogen, of the... Mm -hmm. Of the, of the crazy juice. If they get to the crazy juice, okay, and are able to repurpose it for the nefarious... It's a hard word to say, Travis. Really Come on. Is. You, you try saying you. it. Say it right now. Halucinogen. See? Nailed it. <laughs> if, if these two crazy people get to the crazy juice and they're able to repurpose it for their own crazy means, then there will surely be a lot more people like Stone Nate who see monsters. <laughs> From my perspective, sounds pretty freaking cool, but I yeah. can imagine why Nate might not might not want that. If everyone in the world sees monsters, then aren't the monsters real enough, huh? Amen. Yeah. No, I'm with you there. I'm with you there 100%. Also, didn't Salim say that King Solomon imprisoned demons in a vessel of brass? Mm -hmm. So the source of the halucinogen, the crazy juice, (laughs) is like like magical demon puree or uh, maybe like monster energy with pulp. (laughs) <laughs> which sounds it's, gross but i mean <laughs> if we want to trip balls we'll trip balls i do like their use of the word imprisoned to describe putting something in a vessel like that's how i'm going to start describing all of my pantry organization <laughs> <laughs> hey honey uh where should i imprison this salt should i prison it should i prison it in this jar or this jar over here which one i and also side note i know you don't care why am i asking you where i put the salt you don't also, give a shit. Yeah, and, and next time I like open like a, a a can of canned green beans, like we'll let you out of here, guys. You've been imprisoned in here way too long. Come on now, you little green bean guys. Oh yeah, freedom, huh? Freedom. And Pour you, you into my them. one of my many bowls that I use all the time. <laughs> that's that's sinister. You free them only to just destroy them by eating them. That's that's bad. That's mean. That's mean. That's mean. Yeah. So there's there's this magical demon puree, right? Uh, that does exist. It's factual here. Um, so we are three for three in games that have supernatural villains. And if I were a betting man, I'd say in game four, maybe Nate will have somehow forgotten about the existence of magic and will insist that there's nothing wrong with chasing down an evil hidden treasure. That's my guess. I mean, I guess we'll have to find out in the next episode, but you're right. They never mention it until it happens and then they never talk about it again. It's never <laughs> yeah. like, 
they're setting out to to find a treasure, and they're never like, you know, Nathan. Now that I'm a Kiwi, uh, what if we get out there? I don't know. If, yeah, hopefully, Kiwi's not derogatory. I need to do my research before I start spouting out slang that I'm not that familiar with them. And hopefully, the thing you're about to say is something that Kiwis do, because you did say as a Kiwi, uh, as a well. Just because I was using the accent there, as a Kiwi gentleman, I'm very astute to logic, and um, I'm very, I'm very proud and handsome, and uh, yeah. But you know, we're about to go out and find some treasure here, Nathan. Um, remember last time? I just want to give you an air caution here. Last time we nearly died because hell opened up, and zombies tried to devour us. Now, don't let that change your mind. I know there's a lot of money at stake, and you really just want these heirlooms of your dead, dead, dead grandfather. Or no, wait, your dead great, great, great grandfather. I emphasized the wrong word there. Uh, but I just, again, maybe we should be thinking about the magic evil that's happened to us time and time again before we set off. Maybe pack a first aid kit. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> And uh, every Kiwi in the world will thank you for that being all, you, all you're saying. I, I'm yeah. confident. I'm going to do some Googling before we publish this episode <laughs> to see what I got to cut. But yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. I can't wait till game four. That's all I got to say. Can't wait. Can't Amen. Wait. Amen. Uh, yeah. But until then, Nate, Nate, he's got a demon smoothie and a brass vessel to find. So they descend deep into the city on a hunt for the source of the city's water. And they find it. But unfortunately, Kate and Talbot have found it first, and they are in the middle of lifting the brass vessel from the central spring's depths. Nate, he manages to blow up the crane, which is good, and it sends the vessel back down to the bottom of the spring, while also, as he always does, he blows up critical support infrastructure, which causes the entire city to collapse in slow motion, <laughs> where he and Sully can mount an exciting escape back to the surface. It's pretty incredible. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it was like one shot was fired at most. Yeah. And it's like Sully even drops a line at some point as they're fling for their lives. He's like, one shot did this? Like, <laughs> I was like, amen. I was thinking the same thing. This really went south fast. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's happened before, though. I mean, Sully, like, why ask this time? Maybe last time there was two shots fired and he understood right. that logic. But with one, he's like, come on, come on. Come on. A, a whole hidden city falling apart after one shot. Come on. So during their escape, Nate, he loses his silver ring, and <gasps> Kate and Talbot, they lose their lives. Yay! And I'll be honest, it's a, it's a fine trade-off. It's a fine trade-off, if you ask me. Yes, and Nate finishes off Talbot in some death-defying, ledge-teetering fisticuffs, which is, it's pretty great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In the closing moments of our adventure, Nate and Sully have a few moments on the airport tarmac to share their love for each other. Oh. Sully, he gives Nate a ring, presumably the engagement <laughs> ring that Nate yeah. no longer wears. Not sure how Sully got it, but now let's just go with it. Apparently, Sully has kept the ring safe, anticipating that Nate would someday want to truly settle down with Elena. Okay, okay, so he's wanting Nate and Elena. Sorry. <laughs> wow, this 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 took a fan fiction turn that I didn't expect it to take. So, <laughs> uh, so anyway, Nate, Nate, he takes the ring, he embraces Elena, and the three of them walk off into the sunset. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. So, uh, Elena, remember earlier when I was asking you to watch while uh, (laughs) we jade, you know, maybe not right now, Sully. We'll wait. We'll wait. (laughs) And and that's the game. They go off into the distance, and Mm -hmm. um, somebody probably jos. Probably, I think if I remember correctly, Nate was in the middle. Then Elena Mm -hmm. and Sully are on their sides, and they're all. You know, Nate and Nate and Sully or Elena and Sully, they have their hand like down 
like they're yeah. like they're holding hands. But what's weird is they're they're holding something, but like Nate's both of his hands are in the air like this. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what they're holding down there. Right? Yeah, like a handle on a gentleman. Somewhere. Yeah, 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 like a gentleman handle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah, good. A good one. Another action-packed story. We end on a high note there. All three of them still together, still alive. Um, I guess we don't know exactly where Chloe and Cutter are off to. They just kind well, of disappear, we know, or where, we know where do they go? Chloe, I think, immediately goes on to the Lost Legacy DLC. Uh, she, just, <laughs> she she just takes right. a, a jeep, I think, right to that DLC. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, Charlie, I don't think we ever see or hear from him again. There might be a mention uh-huh. or two of him in uh, in four Uncharted Four. I can't remember. But uh, we'll figure yeah. out we'll, next next week. We'll, we'll nail it I'm down. I'm gonna say dead. I'm gonna say dead. Oh man, yeah, yeah dead yeah. Charlie. Well, you know, I love Charlie while he was here. He has a great name. And it was fun while it lasted. Um, we didn't get to go through a lot of our equine butthole terminology, but if he, I tell you what, if he comes up next episode, we'll spend a good two to three minutes riffing for, for everyone. I don't know why we have to be just so crude with our humor, but gosh dang, it's fun for us. But yeah, that's going to do it. Do you have any, you have any thoughts on this one as a story or a game before we close her out? Uh, uh, Mustang rim job. Mm, rim job. Oh, no, yeah, that doesn't work. Oh, I mean, man. it's still butthole adjacent. Yeah, stallion's sewer hole? Oh, I see. It's, it's the two words for the butt. That for, I know, There's right? not enough single word butt synonyms. I know. That's the problem. That's the problem we're finding here. 100%. I'm, I'm finding that to be difficult as well, because, again, I got equine terms... The wa- I was about to say out the wazoo. Oh, that's oh, one my of god. them. Oh my god! Uh, damn, uh, Welsh pony wazoo. <laughs> yeah, I'm on board. I'm, I think I think that's t- where we wrap up this goddamn episode right there. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for this game, for our reviews, uh, and for our, all our uh, crude and, and loot humor. You know, we hope you appreciated that. But be sure to subscribe so that way you know when our last episode of our Tomb Raider series, or Tomb Raider, <laughs> what am I doing? Uncharted series comes <laughs> out thing. next week. Uncharted 4, yeah, basically the same thing. Uh, and, uh, you know, maybe one day we'll get to those, that lost legacy. But for now, we're going to wrap this one up on the next episode with Uncharted 4. So don't miss it. And if you would, please, please, please rate and review us. We would absolutely love for you to do that. Uh, we need more reviews to read as our favorite characters. Uh, you can reach out to us on Twitter. You can reach out to the, to the actual show at Tales Lesser. You can reach out to me specifically, Caleb, at Caleb J. Ross. You can reach out to Travis specifically at Trav Plays Games. And let us know if you liked the episode. If you didn't like the episode, let us know anything. We enjoy conversation. That's right. You can send us an email, angry or not, uh, about anything that we got wrong or anything that you loved. Polykillpodcast at gmail.com. You can also visit the polymedianetwork.com for more stuff. You can go to polykill.com, or I'm sorry, you can go to patreon.com forward slash polykill if you would like to support what we do around here. And I do want to shout out that our intro and outro theme is by Brad Sucks. Check out Brad Sucks. He's awesome. Thank you so much for listening. And the tale has been told. <laughs>